We're in Acts chapter 15 this morning. But as I mentioned, you know, I come across a passage that's short like this, and the first, my first thought is, can I just combine it with another passage, meaning what's before it or after it, because you wonder what to do with so few verses, especially if it's not immediately applicable or, you know, one thing you can love about the epistles is you could take one verse and it can have marching orders in it, you know. You come to a passage that's narrative and it's much more difficult to do that. And so that's what I first did with this. I thought, what am I going to do with this passage this morning? But then the more I worked on it, I thought, you know, we're going to, we're going to look at it just all by itself and see what we can glean. I think there's some principles that we can learn from this passage this morning um, that uh, we can apply to our own lives. And so we're going to do that this morning. Let's go ahead and start at verse uh, 36 of chapter 15. Verse 36 says, "In some days, or after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we pro, uh, proclaim the word of God, or the word of the Lord, and see how they are." And so we're going to see here in this first verse that Paul and Barnabas actually make plans for a new missionary journey, and their intentions are good. Paul and Barnabas have been back at their home church in Antioch now. It's about that they've been back for a little while. We're not really sure exactly how long. It just simply said after some days. But if you remember that first missionary journey, they had visited eight different cities and shared the gospel, establishing churches in those eight different cities made up of both Jews and Gentiles. They had a fairly fruitful ministry. It was a short journey, but nonetheless it was very successful. In fact... If you look at verse 36 there, what it tells us is that they were now planning on going back to every city in which they had proclaimed the word, and their goal was to see how the Christians were doing. It sounds good. They had a heart to go back and to revisit these churches, to see the people that had been won to Christ, and then to strengthen them. If you remember... This is something they actually did on that first journey too because if you remember, the journey is kind of like a clock meaning that they kind of traveled around and then they got close to home but instead of just going back home, they went back the route they took and they revisited those cities to encourage them. And so we see that with Paul and Barnabas, they had these, these good intentions of going back and wanting to strengthen these churches that they had won to Christ. And we learned a while back that When it came to Paul and Barnabas, their goal wasn't just evangelism. They didn't just want to see people come to Christ. They wanted strong, mature believers who were walking in the relationship with Jesus Christ. It was about making disciples, not just evangelism. We've talked about that on a few occasions here. Jesus' great commission wasn't go evangelize. It was make disciples by baptizing and teaching. And so that's always been the goal of the church, is to make mature, godly disciples. And that's what we actually see here. And so Paul and Barnabas actually... Um, are desiring to do that. Their intentions are good. I'm kind of struck as I started working through this and looking at this about this concept of them going back to these cities. Paul had a real heart for mentorship and discipleship. And I'm sure Barnabas did as well. I was kind of looking over some of the individuals that we know about in the church that were influenced by the Apostle Paul. It includes people like Timothy, Titus, Silas, another man named Epaphroditus, Epaphras, another one you may have heard of, Eudea, that's a fancy name, Eudea, and Syntyche, and Clement, and Aristarchus. All these individuals are people who had traveled with the Apostle Paul that he personally mentored, and they became leaders within the church. In the book of um, Romans, they even, I think, mentioned 25 different individuals that Paul had been associated with that had 
grown because of his relationship with them. And so Paul and Barnabas had this amazing desire to see the church grow and mature. And so we see here that as they are contemplating what to do next in Antioch, the first thought is, let's go back to those churches and see how they're doing now. And so they begin with good intentions. So the first question I have regarding that is, what in the world could go wrong with that? They shared a desire to encourage the churches. They were committed to another journey. Um, they were apparently even united in their courage because if you remember, that first trip wasn't all that pleasant at times. In fact, at one point, Paul almost died. And so they must have been united in their courage and their strength to go back. I'm sure they talked about that. In fact, they may have kind of gone along the lines of, hey, Barnabas, um, what do you say we go back to all those churches we visited? And Barnabas may have said, uh, Good idea, Paul. You realize they almost killed you back there. And I'm sure Paul said, yeah. And Barnabas may have said, let's go for it. We don't know. But regardless, they were united in, in their desire to go back. And, and um, that always has to end well, right? Good intentions always lead to good things, right? You know where this is going. You know the story. You've heard about it, right? You know I'm being playful here. Something did go wrong. And it ended up with Paul and Barnabas separating and going their own ways. Let's look at verses 37 and 38. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had departed or who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Barnabas, we're told here, wants to take John Mark along on this journey. But Paul, it says, kept insisting that they didn't. If you remember, back in Acts 13, go ahead and turn there, Acts 13, 13, we learned that John Mark had gone with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. But early in the trip, he left them and went back to Jerusalem. Look at Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Pergia and Pamphylia, but... Here it is. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Paul actually refers to it here as deserting him. That may not seem like a big deal in 1313 because Luke doesn't make it a big deal. It simply says, oh, John Mark went back to Jerusalem. So we get no indication from Luke there that there was actually a problem. Now, if you think about it, the first missionary journey encompassed about 1,400 miles of travel. It was a very difficult arduous journey we talked about that traveling up through the mountains it took we don't know how long but most estimates are that it would have taken anywhere from four to ten months to make that round trip so this is a potentially a long hard difficult journey the thing we often forget about is we kind of have in our minds that paul throws on his sandals and his robe and he just goes out and but paul was a tent maker he would have traveled with supplies. That's the way that he made his living. So this wasn't just throwing your backpack on and walking. They were probably taking stuff with them. They would often have to carry their food and other things. They obviously carried money with them. And one of the things we've, we know about Paul is he liked to travel with companions, and those companions did two things for him. One was helped in the teaching and the ministry that he had. We know that with Timothy. But we also know that in some respects they probably helped Paul provide for his needs. We know that he would go into a city and set up shop, his tent making, 
And he would begin to do that until some of his co-workers would join him, like maybe Timothy or Silas that he had left at other places. When they would come, he would then be freed up to now go into the synagogues and do teaching and other things. And so in some respects, this wasn't just Paul hitchhiking his way to the next city. Plans had to be made. He had to take care of, you know, provisions and other things. And so it was a, I'll call it a ministry enterprise of sorts. Small, but he didn't go out just by himself. He relied on having men who could come alongside and work with him in the ministry. And so that's what John Mark was supposed to be. He was supposed to be somebody that could come alongside. And here it is. They spend some time on the island of Cyprus. They have a great ministry there. But they haven't even begun the most difficult part of the journey yet, which would come after they left Cyprus. And that's the moment at which John Mark decided to go back home. So he left Paul and Barnabas at the most critical part of their journey when they're getting, if you remember we talked about this, they were just getting ready to head into the mountains. It was a hard, difficult journey. Alexander the Great said it was one of the most difficult parts of his campaigns. It was hard to be in this terrain, and they had to march or walk a significant distance up from zero feet at sea level up to 3,600 feet up into the mountains. And now they're left by themselves. Paul had been expecting that John Mark would be a help in that, and he leaves them. A little, bit hate to hire, a little bit late to hire somebody new. Just grab somebody off the street, especially since he needs believers. So Paul refers, you go back to um, Acts chapter 15 there, Paul refers to him as somebody who had deserted them. That's a pretty strong term. He didn't just go home, Paul saw it as a desertion. Somebody who had abandoned their post. He also goes on to say he had not gone with them to the work. You can hear in Paul's words here the disappointment, the lack of trust that he might have had for him. Paul, in a number of his letters, refers to people like John Mark and others as his co-workers. This was not something Paul intended to do by himself. He needed these guys alongside him. That's why I called him co-workers. He wasn't a tour guide. He wasn't even just an evangelist. He was a mentor and a discipler. He needed these companions to go along with him. And John Mark failed in that regard. And so here we are with Barnabas saying, let's take John Mark on our next journey. And Paul saying, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. It appears that this put them at odds, and some pretty significant odds based on what we see in the text. Now, I would argue that it appears that Paul's primary motive was that he didn't feel that he could rely on John Mark to finish this journey. Why? He had abandoned a smaller, shorter journey. This one was going to be much more difficult. It was going to be longer. How could he trust John Mark? In fact, the NASB says that Paul kept insisting, it's actually more literally, would be translated this way, Paul was considering him unworthy to take along with them because he was the one who had deserted them. So the text clearly suggests that Paul just simply couldn't trust John Mark. On the other hand, now we have Barnabas, and it says Barnabas desired, he was desirous of taking John Mark along. 
Now, it may have been simply because John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. There was family relationship there. But it may also have to do with the fact that Barnabas was willing to give him a second chance. What we know about Barnabas, his nickname was Son of Encouragement. If you remember when Paul was Saul, was saved by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul shows up and none of the disciples want anything to do with him except one. Who was that one person? It was Barnabas. He went to Paul. He was willing to give Paul a chance. He was willing to listen. In fact, it was Barnabas who then went to the other disciples and said, we can trust this guy. He put his neck on the line for Paul when everybody else was afraid because Saul had been known for killing Christians. And so we know that about Barnabas. And so maybe that's why Barnabas is looking at his cousin John Mark here and he's like, come on, Paul, got to give this guy another chance. Because that's the character of Barnabas. That's what he did. So Paul is thinking from the perspective of, no, we need a reliable guy that can go along with us. We've got to have these workers. You can go check on that. We need these workers. I need a helper. (laughs) Thanks, John Mark. We'll call him John Dustin. Thanks, John Dustin. Um, But so Paul is thinking from the perspective of, no, we need the help. Barnabas is probably thinking, no, we need to help him. And so it leads to this disagreement between the two. In fact, the word that Luke uses to describe their disagreement there is sharp disagreement. It's a word that refers to stirring up emotions. It's used in both a positive and a negative way in the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we're told to consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds. That's the word used there. Stirring up our emotions. Stirring one another up to good deeds. It's a positive thing. But it's also used in a very negative way like it is here. And you notice that this was so severe, it was enough to stir up their emotions. It was causing some dissension here. It likely means they had a rather heated discussion. It doesn't mean they yelled and screamed at each other. It doesn't mean that they argued necessarily. But it does mean there was emotions involved with their disagreement. Look at um, verses 39 through 41. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren, or being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And so the disagreement was so severe, it says, that they decided to part ways. Barnabas grabs John Mark, heads off to Cyprus, his home island, if you will, Paul takes Silas, and they're sent out by the brethren on this second missionary journey. This is the last time we see Barnabas. Did you guys know that? The last time he's mentioned in the book of Acts. In many respects, Luke kind of leaves us hanging now. It's like that TV series, you know, that ends all of a sudden. It's like, you didn't finish the series! He left me hanging here. Can you imagine what would have happened if Dallas would have ended after the third season? We would not know who shot JR. Anybody know who it was? Sister-in-law Kristen, by the way. Amy and I have had a couple of different TV series that we've enjoyed watching. That A couple of them have ended. I think, what, is it, the, um, what was the one? The uh, Oh, Sarah, Con- Sarah Connors. Uh, we, we've been huge Terminator fans. The movies, I know it's... 
You don't say that because people think you're watching the wrong movies. Um, we've always loved the Terminator movies. Well, they had a TV series, the Sarah Connor, Connor Chronicles. Sarah Connors was, and I, will, I won't go into that anyway. Well, it was like one, what, one season, maybe two, and then it like ended. And we were like, ah, we don't know what's going to, we kind of know what happens because of the movies, but we didn't know what would happen to that, that part of the life, you know, and it just kind of leaves you hanging. And you're like, wish I wouldn't have watched the stupid series. You know, so that happens occasionally. I've had a couple of shows that I've enjoyed watching on TV that are related to the Marvel series stuff. They start it and then it ends. And you're like, oh, man, you know, I want to know, I want to know, want to know where it goes. And I read this and I want to know what happened to Paul and Barnabas. You know, these are two guys we love, but Luke kind of leaves us hanging here and doesn't really tell us what happens to him, to him, other than the fact that. It looks like they had a little tiff and went away angry at each other. But that's kind of some speculation. It might make us feel a little bit unnerved as we look at this. These two godly men, Paul and Barnabas. And we see them here, looks like fighting maybe. Like I said, it's, it's more just an emotional disagreement. Makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, one of them is considered to be the greatest of all apostles. He's responsible for evangelizing much of the known world. He's written over half of our New Testament. You know, how could Paul behave this way? The other was nicknamed Son of Encouragement. You know, he's a great man of encouragement. And how could these two butt heads? How could they not apparently get along? They had actually ministered together on this long, hard journey, survived that time together with each other, decide to go on another journey. They had been persecuted together. But yet, this simple disagreement, it appears, they can't get along enough to stay together. Does that make anybody else feel a little bit uncomfortable? You know, it's interesting how scholars approach this. A lot of scholars, as they their commentaries on this, refer to this as probably one of the most embarrassing moments in the history of the church. And it's because they look at it as, there's a serious problem here. They'll, they'll do things like this. Didn't Paul have something to say about divisions? They quote Ephesians chapter 4. That's what it says. Paul writes this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Where is that with Paul and Barnabas now is what they say. Where was the humility, the gentleness, the patience towards one another? Where was the attempt at preserving unity? Wouldn't it have been better for them to stay together and work this out and they go on this second missionary journey together? Didn't they practice what they preach? That's what many scholars say about this passage. They see this as a dismal failure on the part of Paul. And some just write it off as, ah, Paul was a sinner. Barnabas was a sinner. So we can expect this of them. I disagree, actually. Um, We understand that Paul and Barnabas were individuals. They were humans. They had their own thoughts, their own opinions. They had their own best best ideas of how to accomplish what they were going to do. Again, Paul was likely thinking about the need for good helpers along the way. Well, he was right. He needed good helpers along the way. Oftentimes, Paul would be kicked out of a city and... He can't just abandon the believer, so he would leave some of his co-workers back who weren't quite under the threat that he was. He was the big name. Everybody knew Paul. In fact, one of the pastors I was working on here yesterday, you know what, they come and they hunt him, Paul and Silas down, 
And so the brother, brethren send him out, but Timothy and Silas stay behind. They're not quite under the same threat because they weren't on everybody's radar. And so Paul needed helpers like that. And so Paul's thinking from that perspective. Again, Barnabas is thinking from a different perspective. Both, in many respects, are right. But they didn't agree. There's nothing in the passage that suggests there was any sin on Paul's part here. Luke doesn't have a problem calling out stuff like that. But this really isn't presented as sin in this passage. It's presented as a strong disagreement. To assume that Paul and Barnabas had a major falling out here and never spoke again is also assumption and speculation on our part. There's a better reason why Barnabas is not mentioned in the rest of this book. Because it focuses on Paul's ministry. And Barnabas wasn't a part of that. People have interpreted that as Barnabas is never mentioned. They had a major falling out. They never got back together. They never talked with each other. They were, you know... They couldn't stand to be around each other. But that's an assumption. In fact, Paul actually makes reference to Barnabas in another letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just mentions them. It says something as simple as, are Barnabas and I the only guys that have to work? And what he was getting at was, um, he worked with his own hands, but he also knew that he could rely on the help from others, but yet somehow, people within the church thought that Paul and Barnabas should be working. And they did, but you know how it is. Um, but he mentions Barnabas. The fact that he mentions Barnabas sort of in the present tense there indicates that they still had some communication. They were still aware of each other. Paul doesn't say anything disparaging about him. So it's unlikely that the real answer to, to what happened here is they, they went their own directions without any real animosity towards one another. My guess is, knowing the Apostle Paul and what he preached about unity and preserving that affection and love for one another, but they probably parted on good terms, even though they were severely disagreeing with one another. And is that possible? Can you disagree severely with somebody, but still respect them, still love them? Is it possible? Is it possible that D- D- Dustin and I... That's pretty much what we see here. So when I ask the question, why would Luke actually include this? You've heard me ask that a couple of times. That's part of the challenge with interpreting narrative. Why did the author include this story? We saw that with some of the study of Samuel, some of the comments that the author made. They were like scratching their head thinking, why did he put that comment in there? We don't always know. Why did Luke include this? Um, Plain and simple, it explains why Barnabas is not seen in the rest of the book. It just explains why Paul took Silas with him him, and why in the rest of the book Barnabas is never mentioned because Barnabas is a pretty heavy player. He was an important character in the beginning of the early church. But Luke has chosen to focus on Paul's ministry for the rest of the book and if he didn't put this episode in, we'd be wondering, what happened to Barnabas? Well, we know what happened to Barnabas. He went off on a different journey. Paul took somebody else. That's the simplest explanation. We don't have to come up with any magical reason or suggest they had this major falling out of the point where they couldn't stand each other and it was an embarrassing moment for the church. So, the question that we have to ask then, Luke chose to include this to explain why Barnabas isn't seen in the rest of the book. But God in his infinite wisdom, I think, also gave it to us because there's some things we can learn from it. Now we have to think through it to figure out maybe what some of these principles are. So I'm going to try to do that for us here. What can we actually learn from this episode? 
The first thing I want to point out is this. Paul and Barnabas didn't disagree on the mission. What they disagreed with was the means, the best way to accomplish it. But they were still unified in their mission. They both wanted to go back and strengthen the churches. In fact, when Barnabas took John Mark, they went back to Cyprus, where the first missionary journey began. And they went back there, and they ended up strengthening the churches in Cyprus, along with winning new disciples to Christ. Paul did just what we see in the beginning of our section here, went back and visited the churches that he and Barnabas had won to Christ earlier. He didn't go to Cyprus, but he went to the other areas. And so they didn't disagree on the mission. What they disagreed with was the means to accomplish that, or the best means to accomplish that. Paul believed he needed reliable co-workers, so that's what he did. He grabbed Silas and took Silas with him. Barnabas believed in being compassionate and was more focused on on, um, John Mark and what John Mark may have needed. But Barnabas also needed a co-worker, needed some help, and he was willing to give Barnabas, I'm sorry, John Mark, that second chance. So being committed to the same purpose or mission doesn't mean that we have to agree on the same means. Dustin and I get together, we go through a passage of scripture. Sometimes we agree on the approach to the passage. Sometimes I take one approach. Sometimes he takes a different approach. In fact, we got together this last week here, and um, he had focused on something very different than what I had focused on in the passage. And I told him, that's one of the things I love about getting together. There isn't always one approach to a passage. Now, we can argue oftentimes that there's one primary meaning or one way to interpret a passage, but there's many ways to apply it. There's many ways to approach it. Sometimes one individual will see something in the text that will be fantastic. Another person will see it and be fantastic as well. They don't have to agree on how to preach that passage. In fact, I think I even mentioned to him this last week. I'm like, we could both get up and preach the passage we're working on. I could do one week. He could do the second week. And there would be something to take away from each week. We don't have to agree on the means all the time. We should agree on the mission. And that's actually what we see with Barnabas and Saul here. It's okay to disagree. That's the second thing we should learn from this. God actually used this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas to further the gospel in different parts of the world. It's interesting how God took this disagreement and use it to actually further the gospel. We don't often think of that. And that's where I think some of the scholars that look at this and say, this is one of the most embarrassing moments of the early church. They're missing the point that God specifically used it to further the gospel. God, indeed, can take all things and work them together for good, even our disagreements. And I would even argue that sometimes the disagreements that we might have is simply God's way of moving us in different directions to accomplish his purposes. Now that doesn't mean if you have a you know, down and dirty drag out fight with another brother or sister in Christ and it leads to fisticuffs. Is that what they call it? Fisticuffs. Those old words. That you should be you know, saying, this is all of God's doing. Now I'm not saying that. But when two people disagree on something, and there's no sin involved necessarily, God can use that to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes he does just that. Take a look at this. Barnabas actually went to Cyprus with John Mark. They actually continued working side by side for the next decade, if we understand church history properly. Which means they went back to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, a big area. It was um, Barnabas' home area. And they worked there for the next 10 years. So John Mark 
worked alongside Barnabas for 10 years, a full decade. Most historians attribute the rise of Christianity in Cyprus directly to Barnabas. In fact, even to this day, almost 80% of the island of Cyprus considers themselves Christians, and they attribute that to St. Barnabas. They call him St. Barnabas. So the island, even to this day, is reflect is a reflection of Barnabas's ministry and John Mark's ministry on that island. Tradition holds that John Mark actually was there at the death of Barnabas and was the one responsible for burying Barnabas's bodies. Barnabas was actually persecuted and killed because of his evangelism. His ministry becomes so um, powerful on the island, it had radically shifted many of the. Um, cultural traits and other things on that island and it upset some folks and he was martyred as a result of it and John Mark was still there by his side and took care of his body remember this was the guy that had abandoned Paul simply because he, I don't want to go to the mountains I don't want to go uphill I want to go back to Jerusalem I miss home and yet he stuck by Barnabas' side in Cyprus through all the persecution to the point where even after they had killed his mentor He stuck around, buried his mentor. I think John Mark had grown quite a bit. Maybe it was because of what Barnabas had chosen to do, to take him along, give him a second chance. What about Paul? Well, Paul took along Silas, and they went in the opposite direction. They initially traveled through Syria and Cilicia, which is where Paul was from, Tarsus, They continued west, they went into Galatia, they revisited the churches from that first missionary journey. They then proceeded into Asia, Macedonia, Achaia, which is all new territory, completely untouched by the gospel. We know from the rest of Acts that Paul and Paul's epistles, the tremendous success that Paul and Silas and the rest of his co-workers had in spreading the gospel and building up the body of Christ. Silas is mentioned throughout this second journey here. So God used that to spread the gospel. He built up the church in Cyrus. He took the gospel into all kinds of other parts of the world. And he did that through Paul and Silas. So God certainly can use our disagreements like he did here. I think there's a third thing we can learn from this, but it's not immediately apparent, but it's something I've already alluded to. John Mark... It has to do with John Mark and Silas themselves. But John Mark was given an opportunity at redemption and to prove himself worthy. I think what we have here in John Mark is a desire to go along. He obviously chose to go along with Saul, or I mean with Paul and Barnabas on that first journey. He probably never intended to depart or to leave. His heart was probably in the right place. But along the way, something changed. Maybe after the ministry and the stuff that took place on Cyprus, maybe he was just plain homesick. Maybe he was afraid of the journey that was ahead. Remember, it was a very treacherous journey that they were going to embark on. Maybe that freaked him out. We don't know. But he probably started with all the right intentions, a desire to minister. One of the things I shared with with Dustin this last, um, when we met the other day, was one of the things I loved about the Grace Brethren Fellowship with planting churches. Hey, so many of the churches in Columbus, the Grace Brethren Churches, all started because of the ministry of the, the Grace Polaris Church and that. But um, the Grace Brethren in planting churches, one of the things that they always were concerned with was what happens to a pastor who tries to plant a church and if it doesn't go well? Because they don't always go well. 
Sometimes they're, you know, the church explodes with growth. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the, the pastor faces a lot of headwinds. And they placed a lot of emphasis on making sure that that pastor, no matter what happened, wasn't discouraged and left the ministry. And that was one of the things when I, um, when I had planted the church down in Grove City, we had taken the church and merged it back into our parent church. We ran into some, some difficulties. The church had grown quite a bit. It was a lot of excitement, but we faced a lot of headwinds down in Grove City. Couldn't find a place to meet. We had, the schools weren't open, and even when they were, the, the price was outrageous. And um, we just faced a lot of headwinds. And at, at some point, we finally decided then we were just going to merge that church into our parent church. And I remember getting a phone call from somebody asking how I was doing because many would look at that as a failure. You know, we launched this church, but now it's merging back into its parent church. But they were concerned with, is this, has this damaged Michael so that he will exit the ministry and will not continue? And that was the last thing in the world they wanted to see. I love that about the Grace Brethren. They were concerned about, not as much about the church, as they were the pastor, and that he wouldn't be discouraged if there was a failure in ministry of sorts. And so here we have have John Mark, probably eager to go, but something happens. And then you have Paul saying, can't take you with us. What might have happened to John Mark had Barnabas not said, I'm willing to take a chance on this guy and take him with us. What's remarkable about this is that had Paul gotten his way, Barnabas might never have stayed in that role. But instead, like I said, he went and spent 10 years side by side with Barnabas and under some difficult circumstances. But something else is rather interesting about this. He not only spent a decade ministering side by side with Barnabas, but after Barnabas' death, he ended up rehooking up with Paul. Imagine that. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's the last thing that Paul has written, says that everybody had deserted him, but what he does is he says, get Mark, bring him to me, because he's a great help to me in ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Do you see that? Get Mark and bring him to me. Bring him with you, because he's a great help to me in ministry. Which means that Paul saw in John Mark something he didn't see, we don't know how many years earlier. John Mark had indeed redeemed himself, but under the tutelage, if you will, of Barnabas. That's a pretty cool story. It's an amazing story of redemption. So he had obviously matured and grown into a faithful and reliable helper. The very thing he desired to do. Now, I'm not going to fault Paul here and say that Paul was wrong. Paul was probably right. What we know about this ministry with Barnabas is that he went back to Cyprus. It was close to Cyprus. It was close to Barnabas' home. It was familiar territory. It wasn't quite as arduous. It wasn't traveling from city to city to city to city. And maybe that's what John Mark needed to become the faithful co-worker so that at some point after that, he was now mature enough to now travel with Paul because he obviously would have had to have gone back and traveled with Paul at some point for Paul to be able to say, hey, get him and bring him back here because he's useful to me. 
And so I think this is just a great story of redemption. It's not one that's real apparent or clear in the text immediately, but knowing what we know about him in the rest of the scriptures, that's an amazing thing. Maybe that's why God did what he did. Maybe part of it was to allow John Mark to be redeemed and to be used of him. And maybe what that took was Paul and Barnabas going different directions. Maybe another journey with Paul might have done him in. So John Mark's story is one of growth, maturity, and second chances. What about Silas? You know, it's interesting for me with Silas. Um, Silas actually became one of Paul's most trusted co-workers on this journey. In fact, as I had mentioned, he kind of, it's like he and Timothy sort of become buddies and they'll do whatever Paul needs them to do. And so Paul gets kicked out of Thessalonica or gets kicked out of Berea and Titus, I'm sorry, Timothy and Silas stick around behind and continue to encourage the believers. And you imagine how important that might have been? You know, you get, you get a bunch of new believers together. There's a lot of excitement, and Jews come down from another city and start riling up the crowds, and there's violence, and all of a sudden now they're dragged, you know, the, the brothers and, and sisters in Christ have to take Paul and, and um, Silas, or, or at least Paul, and say, you, got, you guys got to leave. You, you've got to disappear here. They're coming out to kill you. How those believers must feel if all of a sudden their mentors, their pastors are gone. And so Paul at times was able to leave Timothy and Silas back at those cities to sort of pick up those pieces. And so Silas sort of rises to the surface here under Paul's uh, mentoring and traveling to become an important critical figure in establishing the church and encouraging believers. He becomes one of Paul's most trusted co-workers. He's mentioned throughout the book of Acts now in the second missionary journey. Paul actually mentions him in 2 Corinthians 1.19. He actually co-wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians with Paul. Peter even mentions him. Turn to 1st Peter chapter 5. I guess the verse. 1st Peter chapter 5. Oops. I think it's 1st Peter 5.12, if I remember right. Yeah, through Silvanus, that's actually Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter, when he wrote his letter to Jews that had been persecuted and were now living in what was called the Diaspora, he sends that letter in the hands of Silas, a man who had seen Paul be persecuted, was persecuted along with Paul, was used to persecution, now is taking this letter from Peter and going out to the persecuted church, delivering Peter's encouragement. And if you remember the study that we had in 1 and 2 Peter, it was all about how to deal with suffering and persecution. And so Peter tapped Silas to do that. And so my point in bringing this up is that you have these two individuals, you have John Mark and you have Silas, who both become important leaders in the Christian early Christian church, both being groomed, if you will, matured, taught, discipled by very different personalities, Paul and Barnabas. But they grow and mature into these important Christian leaders within the church. And it all started with a disagreement. Now, we don't really know much more about Silas except some very brief 
mentions that he may have become what they call bishop, uh, leader, at the Corinthian church. So again, we have these two other individuals, John Mark and, and Silas, one who struggled early on with his faithfulness to the mission, grow and mature into these two important leaders within the early Christian church. And again, it all came about as a result of a disagreement. Silas would not have gone with Paul. We may never know Silas, aside from his introduction in the book of Acts, had John Mark gone along with Paul. John Mark may never have grown into who he was had he gone along on that journey. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So what it tells us is, again, God can use even the worst of circumstances, even disagreements that we might have, to accomplish his purpose, and he clearly did in this case. And so I look at this passage, and I don't see it as a huge embarrassment for the early church. I see it as two guys that had a disagreement on the means to how to accomplish something, neither of whom were wrong. In fact, it appears both were very, very right. But yet, they still had an emotional disagreement about it. Is that okay for us sometimes? Yeah, as long as we behave ourselves, as long as there's no sin involved with it, we can disagree. God may still use that. And in fact, maybe he is going to use that. And maybe that's how the discussion with Paul and Barnabas actually went. We don't know. It's a private conversation. But maybe as they debated, Paul in his, you know, boldfulness and Barnabas in his maybe more quiet sense of how to deal with things, maybe they looked at each other and went, you know, maybe God is just telling us to go our separate ways. And let's do that and see what the Lord's going to do. That's a good thing. And so even something as simple as this disagreement was used by God to grow the church and to grow two specific individuals that they might become the leaders that he intended for them to be.